Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 6. We will not finish covering all of these six verses tonight. We'll pick them up when we get back together in two weeks. But we're going to start here, then we're going to go over to Daniel, and we're going to spend some time in Daniel chapter 9 to really break that down, because once you do that, it'll help a whole lot of other stuff we're about to cover make sense. So, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. John says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, we have been studying in our previous chronological study of the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 4, the first half of the tribulation period with the seals and the first six seals. We're now, I believe, from my understanding of the book of Revelation, about to move into the midpoint of the tribulation and what's going to happen after that. Now, a question when someone asked me earlier, they said, what about the two witnesses? Aren't they in the first half? Yes, they are, but we're going to deal with them in a little bit because it'll make more sense to you if we bring them in at, at a certain time. Yes, the two witnesses are at some point during the first half. They might go into the second half, but most likely they are in the first half of the tribulation period, slightly into the second half. And so, yes, the two witnesses would have been studied if we were doing it in exact order. But as you hopefully realize by now, there's no way you can say this, then this, then this, then this, because so much of it overlaps and interweaves. So we will be coming back to the two witnesses in a few weeks. And I can't wait to show you that because there's a lot in the scriptures about the two witnesses, a lot. And I'm going to show you in time that there's been a lot, of, lot taught over the years about the two witnesses that has been wrong and with bad theology. And we're going to actually let the scripture speak, and it's actually pretty clear. And I'll just give you a little hint now. I think the Bible tells us who they are, and we'll get to that in time. But for right now, we have to jump from where we were to chapter 12, because we see at this point, John sees this thing that goes on. And what goes on is, is he sees this woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and the 12 stars. And then there's this dragon that goes after her, especially since she was pregnant, about to give birth to a male child. And the dragon wants to devour the child. And the child escapes from the dragon and goes up to the God and to his throne. And then the dragon goes after this woman and chases her for how long, according to this passage here? 1,260 days or three and a half years. You're going to see that length of time a lot from now on. Because... Not only is it in the book of Revelation in many different ways, you're going to see it tonight not only as 1,260 days or 42 months, you're going to see that in a few weeks, it's also a time, times, and half a time, but you're also going to see that that length of time, three and a half years, has actually been in the book of Daniel as well for a long time. And so what we're about to study is something that prophecy's been talking about, a day that is coming and, well, I guess the best way to go at it is to go with me back to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to spend some time tonight in Daniel chapter 9, breaking down verses 1 and 2 and then verses 20 through 27. Because we really need to see 
that not only did Daniel take the Bible literally, and he found out that God meant it when he said, uh, gave us some numbers and meant it, we're also going to find that God fulfills his prophecy literally, and that will also give us encouragement about what is to come. So let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Azaharis, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now we're going to stop here and just kind of catch you up with what's been going on. At this point, Daniel has been in Babylon as a captive for quite a few years. He's almost 90 years old at this point. If you remember, Daniel was a teenager when he was taken captive with, we know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know him by their, their uh, Babylonian names. <clears throat> but he was taken captive at that time with these guys, and he's been working his way up in authority in Babylon, and he's been under Nebuchadnezzar. At this point, though, the Babylonians have been overthrown, and the Medo-Persian Empire is in control. And it's in the first year of Darius, of the Medo-Persian Empire. But he's sitting there and he's studying the book of Jeremiah and he realizes that God prophesied through Jeremiah that their captivity in Babylon would be how long? 70 years. Now, before I show you where that is in Jeremiah, and I'm going to do that in just a second, <clears throat> let me just pull out something that God showed me that I think is pretty cool. Daniel is a prophet, correct? He hears from God directly. God speaks to him and he prophesies what God has said. Yet Daniel is still studying scripture. I love it because he knows that it's one thing to sit here and wait for a word from God. It's another thing to believe that there's a lot that God has already said. And most Christians today are wanting God to give them insight. And I believe God still does speak and he leads us and he guides us by his spirit. But how many Christians really spend time studying the word of God because we believe God's already told us a lot? For some of you that don't know this, you can go to my website and I can show you. You just go to my website and go to Bible studies and look, click on the one that says, where was Jesus born? Because I've come to realize late in my walk with the Lord, after having been a Christian for almost 40 years at that time, I came to realize that the Bible actually told us exactly where Jesus was born. It wasn't in a stable behind an inn. But the Bible actually told us exactly where it was. You say, you're crazy. Well, go to, go to my website and check it out. There's a lot in here that if we would study it, we'd realize, wow, I didn't know the Bible said that. So Daniel is studying the prophecy of Jeremiah, and he realizes that the prophecy said that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Now, why are they in captivity for 70 years? Real quickly, God had told the nation of Israel every seven years, or every, after every six years, on the seventh year, you're to give the land a break and give it a whole Sabbath. In other words, God said, I want you to trust me. I want you to plant and harvest for six years in a row, and I will make sure that your crops work out in such a way that if you don't plant and harvest for a whole year, you'll be able to eat. Isn't that kind of like what he challenged us to do when he tells us to tithe? He says, I want you to test me in this. See if I won't make this work out in a way that doesn't make any sense. God, I can't even pay my bill with 100% of my paycheck, and you actually give, me, give you 10%? Test me. Well, unfortunately, the nation of Israel did not trust God and they kept planting every year because they just didn't think God was going to cover their rear ends. And so after 70 Sabbaths, 
After 70 times that they should have given the land a rest, God says, I'm going to bring you into captivity and give the land the 70 years of rest that it's owed. Well, go with me to Jeremiah 25, and I want you to see it for yourself. Here he doesn't talk about the Sabbath as part of it, but he explains how many years. Jeremiah 25, look at verses 9 through 12. God's speaking through prophet Jeremiah. He says, Behold, verse 9 of Jeremiah 25, Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. Then, after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now, by the way, making the land an everlasting waste prophecy isn't going to happen until the end of the tribulation period. He did bring judgment on Babylon, but there's a lot of prophecies, and we're going to get to this further, further down in our study. There's a lot of prophecies about the destruction of Babylon and how it was never to be inhabited ever again. But when Babylon was judged by God right after the 70-year period, or during the 70-year period, was the land desolate? No, the Medo-Persians came in and just occupied it. You're going to see later on, there are many prophecies about a future still judgment on Babylon where they're going to be totally destroyed by God and angels and never to be inhabited again. And you're going to see later on when we get to chapter 17 and 18 Revelation that when it says that he's going to bring a judgment on Babylon, it's Babylon. And actually, and we'll get to that in time. All right. So go with me to Daniel chapter 9. I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, if I were to ask most of you to quote to me verse 11, 29, 11, you probably could, right? Behold, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know that one, right? How many of us could tell me verse 10? Verse 10 is tied to verse 11 and following. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my to you my promise, and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations. Do you see that, by the way? In all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Now, hang on for a second. You've got to stop. And, for, and as you study the scriptures, you've got to understand two things are going on here. One, God said in verse 10 through Jeremiah, when the 70 years that I've already told you about earlier in Jeremiah are over, I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. But I'm also going to prophesy about a time down the road. When you're going to look on me and you're going to call to me and I'm going to hear you and I'm going to gather you from all the nations that I've scattered you. At this time, had they been scattered to all the nations? No, they'd only been scattered to Babylon. He said, when the 70 years are over, I'm going to bring you back to this land. But I'm also giving you a little heads up. There's going to be a day when you're going to be scattered to all the nations. 
And when that time comes to an end, I'm going to bring you back. And you're going to turn to me, and I'm going to hear you, and we're going to enter in an awesome relationship. So we got to understand, he's talking about not only the literal right there at that time thing that's going to happen in Daniel's day, but also at a time future that we're going to see a little bit later on. So now go back to Daniel chapter 9, and look again at verses 1 and 2. Actually, just go to verse 2. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So, do you see what's going on here? Daniel's been studying the book of Jeremiah. He read that God said in the prophecy that they'd take, be taken into Babylon for their judgment for 70 years. He's doing the math, and he's realizing that 70 years is about to come to an end. So, he starts to pray. He starts to get excited starts to pray, and he starts praying for the nation of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. That's what is. Now, we're not going to take the time to look at the prayer. In chapter 9, verses 3 through 19, you'll see his prayer. It's an amazing prayer. But while he was praying, look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens, or some of your translations say weeks, are decreed about your people in your holy city. Now, we're going to stop there real quick. What has been Dan- Why is Daniel praying to God for Israel and Jerusalem at this time? Because they're getting ready to go back. They're getting ready to go back, and the 70 years that he had prophesied is almost over. As he's praying about this, Gabriel comes and says, let me give you some in- insight. 77s, or weeks, the, by the way, this word translated weeks or sevens in our Bibles is like our word dozen. If I say I have a dozen, how many do I have? Okay, 12 of what? You don't know, right? I just said I had a dozen. I didn't tell you what. You're going to see from this prophecy that when it says 77s or seven of somethings are decreed for your people, it's going to become clear in time that a seven is a seven-year period. So in other words, a week of years. So in other words, Gabriel comes and says, you're praying about these 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Let me tell you something about your people in your holy city. 77-year periods are decreed for your people in your holy city. By the way, you math people, how many years is that? How much? 490 years. Look closely at what he goes on and says, 70 weeks or 490 years are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now, folks, please don't lose sight of the fact that that first 70 in Jeremiah was literal. This 490 years is literal. 490 years are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Now, we got to stop. He said that 490 years are decreed for Israel and Jerusalem to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet. In other words, we don't need more, any more visions or any more people like me preaching anymore. 
and to anoint a most holy place. Has that occurred yet? No, it's very obvious. The only thing that's happened is the atoning for sin. Jesus did that on the cross. So it's obvious to us that if we're going to take the word of God literally, the fulfillment of this prophecy has not yet been completed. But I can't wait to show you that all of it except one seven-year period has been fulfilled literally. Keep reading. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of my translation says an anointed one. Some of your translations don't say that. What do they say? Messiah. Messiah. By the way, I love that because that's what the word really means. So I don't want you to miss this because you're going to see it now in the book of Daniel. Let me read it to you again. And let me, let me tell you how it reads to the Jew. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of Messiah, there shall be seven sevens. Then for 62 sevens, it'd be built again with the squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And by the way, I'll come back to that because the ESV, I think, puts bad punctuation in here and it makes it confusing. And after the 62 weeks or 62 sevens, an anointed one or Messiah shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he, this is the one who is to come, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or one seven. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All right. So we're going to take some time now to break this down, because if you let the spirit of God help you grasp this, it gets pretty cool. So he says he's praying about these 70 years of captivity. He says, well, understand this. 77-year periods are decreed for your people in your whole holy city to finish all this stuff that I say is going to be done at that time. And from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there's going to be seven seven-year periods. By the way, quickly in the math, how much is that? That's 49 years. Now, there are many decrees in the scriptures as to going and rebuilding the temple. But there's only one decree to rebuild Jerusalem. You see, if you study the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find that actually the temple was starting to be rebuilt before the walls of Jerusalem were beginning to be rebuilt. But if you go real quickly to Nehemiah chapter 2, go to Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll see this decree. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, In the month of Nisan... In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, the when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been in sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, so that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, 
If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This happened right around 444, 445 B.C. The reason why I say 444, 445, because if you do a study, you'll realize that there's actually a lot of confusion as to what years are actually because of calendar issues. Jesus, well, let me just back up. You know that our calendar is broken into B.C. and A.D. There is no year zero. And most likely, Jesus, when he came and was born on this earth, was born around 4 B.C., according to our calendars and stuff like that. Because of the confusion in that area, most likely, well, we can, with historical evidence, and by the way, everything I'm sharing with you, you can go online and even go into more detail than I'm giving you. It's very, very provable. This decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem happened in 444 or 445 B.C. And the prophecy said, from the decree to rebuild the walls until its completion will be 49 years. By the way, anybody want to guess how long it took to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? It took 49 years. If you do the study, you'll find that it did. You read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find that they had to rebuild and then they had to get some more people to help. And, and the Bible says it was going to be during hard times. And if you even read, you'll realize at some point they're working on the wall with one hand and fighting people off with a sword and the other. And it took a while, but it was 49 years, just like the prophecy said. And then again, here in the ESV, go back to Daniel 9, it gets a little bit confusing It says that after the 49, there's going to be another 62 sevens. After the 40, uh, 49 years, or the seven sevens, there's going to be 62 weeks, or 60 se 62 sevens. So at the end of the 49 years, 62 seven-year periods after that, the Messiah would come. Now, some of us, this is a little harder for us, so those of you that are good at math in your head, 62 times seven is what? 483. Sorry, 434. It's 434. 434 years. Now, if you add it to the 49, it makes 483. But it's 434 years. So the prophecy said from the degree to rebuild Jerusalem, there's going to be a 49-year period. And then after that, there's going to be a 434-year period until what? Until Messiah comes. By the way, this passage in Daniel has given Jewish rabbis the most bellyache probably of anything, besides Isaiah 53, which they won't even read. But years ago, there was this uh, debate between this Jewish person who had become a believer in Jesus Christ and the Jewish rabbi, and all these people came to see this debate between them about whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And when the person who was the Jewish person who had come to faith went and laid this all out from Daniel 9, the Jewish rabbi stopped him and said, we need to stop at this point. Because if we go any further, everybody in here is going to become a Christian. 434 years after the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem finished, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that exact day. By the way, this is all very provable. You go online and find it. It's one of the most provable things. And as we put it all together, it's 483 years. 
483 years from the prophecy to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem until Messiah comes, literally to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. It literally came out to the exact day. Not only that, we're not going to turn there, but if you go back and look later on at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you'll see the prophecy said, your king comes to you riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. <clears throat> but go with me real quick to Luke 19. Because I want you to see that something else happened that day that a lot of people don't realize. And as you're turning there, let me also remind you, heading toward Luke 19, 41 through 44. Back in the book of Exodus, when God comes to Moses in the nation of Israel in captivity, and he says to Moses, I want you to start your calendar all over again. I'm going to start you a new Jewish calendar, a religious calendar. And today's going to be the first day of your new year. On the 10th day of this month, you're to welcome a lamb into your house. Treat it like a pet almost. Welcome a lamb into your house. And on the 14th in the evening at twilight, you're to kill it. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not only on that day that he rode in on the, the, the donkey fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, not only was it the fulfillment of the 483 years to the day that that prophecy said, guess what? It was the 10th day of the month. When they were to welcome the lamb. Because remember, he had happened at Passover. In Luke 19, though, look at verses 41 through 44. And when he, meaning Jesus, drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus here predicts what happens in AD 70 when they're surrounded in the city of Jerusalem and the temple and everything is destroyed. And you remember later on, Jesus even said the same thing again. They won't leave one stone on top of another. Go back with me to Daniel chapter 9, and you'll see that that was prophesied in here as well. Look at verse 26. And after the 62 sevens, or the 434 years after the 49 years, after the 62 sevens, an anointed one, or Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that happened in AD 70, just like Jesus said on that day when he rode into Jerusalem, because you didn't recognize the day of me coming, you're going to be destroyed. And his end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he, and by the way, in the sentence structure here in the Hebrew, this he goes back to this prince who is to come. We've already seen him come in on a white horse in the first seal, didn't we? This one who comes in without any warfare, and he comes into power. You're going to see some more about him in a little bit tonight. It's the Antichrist. And this one who is to come, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one seven. You see, the prophecy said 490 years are decreed for your people in your city of Jerusalem to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to anoint a most holy place. All that's going to be fulfilled at the end of 490 years. And know this, from the day that they say it's okay to go build and re rebuild Jerusalem, it's going to be 49 years. And when that's done, there's going to be 434 years and Messiah will come. And then he'll be cut off. He was killed of nothing. 
And because of that, the nation of Israel is going to be put on hold. For too long, the church has taught that because of the rejection of Jesus, that God is finished with the nation of Israel and the church has replaced Israel. That's not what the Bible teaches at all, folks. If you read the book of Revelation, it can't get any more clear. Three times Paul says, is God done with Israel? By no means. Have they fallen? No. He's just let us Gentiles come in for a time to make Israel jealous. But there's going to come a time when our time comes to an end and he finishes what he promised with Israel. So what's left of this prophecy? One seven-year period. And this Antichrist is going to make a covenant with many for one seven-year period. And for half of that time period, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. By the way, what's half of seven years? Three and a half. And does anybody know how many days that is? Keep in mind, the Jewish calendar only had 30 days in each month. 1,260 days. Go back with me now. Well, let me read, finish reading Daniel 9. And it put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wind of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Go back with me now to Revelation chapter 12. Behold, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God in his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for how long? Three and a half years or 1,260 days. So here we see this is the midpoint of that last seven where the Antichrist goes after and puts an end to sacrifice. Well, Jesus, put a bookmark here, go to Matthew 24. Jesus actually talked about this occurrence. Again, the prophecies have all along been showing us all this stuff. God's not left us here to guess. God hasn't written this book so that we'll just say, well, that's just symbolic. And I think that represents this. And I think this symbolizes that. And we've got all these people speculating on all what these things symbolize. Hopefully you're starting to realize if the Bible uses symbolic language and it's not something we've already seen, it will tell you what it symbolizes. If it is symbolic... And it doesn't tell you what it symbolizes. It's because it's already been shown earlier in the scriptures what it is. And I'll show you an example of that tonight. But in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22, Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, we just read that in verse 27, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the, on, on the housetop not go to, down to take what's in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. And if, excuse me, those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
Go to 2 Thessalonians real quick, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 12. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I love this part, and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion occur, comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I still, when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And then it goes on and says the coming of this lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan. That's going to be important later on tonight. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Folks, if the first part of the prophecy in Daniel was literally fulfilled to the day, and then Jesus in the prophecy said there was going to be a break in the 490-year prophecy for Israel... And Israel's going to be scattered to all the nations. And then Ezekiel said in chapter 37 that he was going to bring them back. You remember the prophecy of the dry bones? And the Bible even says, these bones are the house of Israel. What happens? Ezekiel prophesies to them, and they come to life. Amazingly, come back to life, even though they were dead. But they didn't have the breath of God in them. And we're seeing Ezekiel 37 happening in our lifetime since 1948 as God made them a nation again. Just like the prophecy said, can a nation be born in a day? And boom, Israel was again from the dead. And oh, they've come back to life, but they don't have the breath of God in them yet. That's going to happen next later on. But they're going to have to go through some stuff still between now and then. And the Bible, Jesus himself even said, so when you see what Daniel talked about, when this guy, the Antichrist, stands in the temple and declares himself to be God, he says to the Jews, that's why he said, pray that your flight doesn't take place on the Sabbath or on the win in the winter. He says to the Jews, run for your lives. Well, the Bible shows us in Revelation 12, at the midpoint, when he steps into the temple, he's going to go after the woman. And I'm going to show you in just a little bit, the woman's Israel. And the, the woman is going to be protected in the wilderness for three and a half years during that time period. Now, as you'll see later on in our study, not all of Israel is going to make it out of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in the book of Jer Zechariah that actually two-thirds of Israel will be killed. Only one-third of them are going to make it into the wilderness to be protected for the last three and a half years of that time period. So let's take a look at this prophecy and start looking in chapter 12 of Revelation. Who this woman is, clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. People have tried to say that it was the church. Can anybody tell me why it can't be the church? I'm sorry? 
Well, definitely the church is gone. But from this passage right here, how can it not be the church? The church can't give birth to Jesus. But you'll be amazed how many people try to read the church into all these end time stuff. Church can't give birth to Jesus. So it's not the church. It's not Mary either. And there's a lot of people that have been told that it's Mary. And if you go to some of these Roman Catholic churches, you'll see some of these paintings of Mary. And she's in the statue. she got the sun and the moon and the stars. It's not Mary. Actually, the Bible's already told us who it is. Go back to Genesis 37. In Genesis 37, we see who it is. Verses 9 through 11. Genesis chapter 37, look at verses 9 through 11. If you remember the story of Joseph and the dreams that God gave him about how his family was going to bow down to him. By the way, who was Joseph's daddy? Jacob, also known as Israel. Look at Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Eleven because he's the twelfth. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Did you catch that? He had a dream that the sun and the moon and the 11, but counting himself, 12 stars, the 11 of them were bowing down to him with the sun and the moon and Jacob knew exactly what that referred to. Are I and your mother and your brothers going to bow down to you? The sun and the moon and the 12 stars is Israel. It's the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is the one that gave birth to the Messiah. Well, it's very clear, hopefully, you go back to Revelation 12 again, it's hopefully very clear that this child is Jesus. Because the Bible describes him as one who's going to rule the world with a rod of iron. Go to Revelation 19 real quick, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he'll rule them with what? A rod of iron. And he'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you were to read Psalm 2, you'll see in verses 1 through 12. Write it down, look at it later, because I need to keep moving. We've got a lot still to cover tonight. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 tells us the same thing. Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot against the Lord and against God's Holy One? And it talks about how he's going to judge the nations with a rod of iron. And so, folks, this child that the woman gives birth to, and the woman's Israel, this child that the woman gives birth to that's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron is who? It's Jesus. And Satan tried to kill him, but he wasn't able to. And he was caught up to heaven, to the throne of to God, and to, I love this, his throne. Because Jesus has got a throne too, remember? Because he's still God. And so now, since Satan can't get him, he goes after the woman. And at this time, 
through the Antichrist. Because as you're going to see later on, Satan, when he's cast from heaven down to the earth, because people talk about how Satan's been cast to the earth. He hasn't been cast to the earth totally yet. People say Satan can't be in heaven because God can't be in the presence of evil. Actually, if you read your Bibles, you'll see that the book of Job shows us that when the angels appeared before God, Satan appeared with them. The Bible describes him as the accuser of our brethren who accuses us before the Father day and night. Satan is still allowed coming back and forth between the two realms. Actually, we keep thinking about up there and down here. It could be a dimension that's right here that we just can't see or feel or taste or touch. But he can pass between the two dimensions very easily. But there's going to come a point where, as you're going to see later on in our study, he is cast at the midpoint of the tribulation out of the presence of God down to the earth for that last three and a half years. And the Bible will show us that he actually is going to indwell the Antichrist and empower him. That's why we read earlier, remember, Paul said about the man of lawlessness. It's going to be from the activity of Satan. He's going to be able to do miracles and all this stuff to fool a whole lot of everybody on the earth. They're going to start worshiping him. And then God's going to destroy him. So, hopefully the dragon is obvious. Who's the dragon? Satan. But look at Revelation 12 and how the dragon is described. <clears throat> Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. By the way, in Revelation chapter um, 12, look at verses 7 through 9. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but they, he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And it tells you who the dragon is. That ancient serpent. We know him from the, from, the, from the garden. Who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. We saw that his tail swept a third of the stars from the sky. So it appears from scripture that when he had his rebellion. A third of the angels joined him in his rebellion. Some are in captivity since... The time that they in Genesis 6 left their, first, their position and cohabited with women on the earth. The Bible says in the book of Jude that they're being held until the final end of judgment already. But at the same time, at this point, the midpoint, Satan will be cast from the earth, I'm sorry, from heaven to the earth, and so will the demons. They'll no longer be allowed in the spiritual realm with God, and they'll be down here. Folks, that last three and a half years of this seven year period left are going to be unbelievable. You're going to see it as we go further on if Jesus tarries and coming to get us you're going to see that the demonic activity on the earth is going to be unbelievable. I'm going to show you later on that this army of 200 million that for years people have been saying is China is not China. It's demons. I'll just give you a little commercial. An army of 200 million couldn't fit in Israel. But you're going to see that they come up out of the pit and you'll see their activity. And we look at the other prophecies in the Old Testament that actually talked about them. The Bible's been telling us all along what was going to happen. The army of 200 million are demons that are going to have ability to do stuff on the earth during that time. It's going to be unbelievable. So the dragon is Satan. But the dragon has seven heads and ten horns. We've seen this before, by the way. Go with me to Daniel chapter 7. The time that we have left tonight, I want to try to cover two things. I want to cover these seven heads and, uh, and, and, and ten horns and give you one little encouragement as we go out of here tonight. In Daniel 7, look at verses 7 and 8. Daniel says, After this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. 
It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had what? Ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in, his, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Jump to verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before, which three of them fell, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth, and that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. I look, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down. Now, by the way, you're going to see in just a second when we get to Revelation that there's going to be seven kingdoms described on the earth. Here he's told the four because at this point... Three of them have already occurred, but he's being shown that there are still four more to come. But at the time of Revelation, John's told about all the kingdoms of the history, and he's going to be told that there's going to be seven. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings... He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand. There it is. For a time, times, and half a time. They're going to be given into his hand for three and a half years. But then it goes on and says that God's going to come and destroy him. This tells us about the ten horns. We see clearly that the prophecy has been telling us all along that this last one world kingdom, this one last one world power, is going to be made up of ten kings. Ten nations, if you will, or kingdoms of some sort are going to come together to make this one last one world government. And folks, it may happen while we're still here. It may not happen until after the rapture. But the Bible says that there's going to be one last one world power, and it's going to be made up of ten kings. But then all of a sudden, this other king's going to show up, and he's going to remove three of them, and he's going to come into power, and he's going to be so powerful, all the other kings are going to give him their authority. Well, go with me. It doesn't tell us about the uh, seven heads, though. It just tells us about the ten horns. Go with me to Revelation chapter 17, and we'll quickly take a look at the seven heads. Revelation 17, verses 1 through 14. We'll come back later on and deal with the woman who's sitting on this beast. Actually, I'll start in verse 3, Revelation 17, starting in verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. There we see it again. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast 
because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Now, let me stop you real quick. For years, people have been saying this proves that it's Rome. You got to be careful. Too many people are just believing whatever they've been told and they haven't taken the time to do the actual study. Because they say Rome is sitting on seven hills, and that means it proves it's Rome. Actually, I could list for you seven or eight cities in the earth that are seated on seven hills. And guess what? Rome isn't one of them. Rome's actually on nine. Yes, ma'am. And this is also after the seals, so the mountains and the islands are all on the ground. <laughs> By this time, definitely a very good point. Everything has been moved quite a bit. But it also goes on and tells us a little bit more. They are also, these seven heads, are seven kings. Five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. Let me stop you. Remember, Daniel was told that there's still four beasts to come. At the time that he was living, there were still four world kingdoms to come. The fourth one being the, the one we're talking about now that's still future. John's being told in Revelation now about all the kingdoms that have been on the earth. Five have fallen. One is, and one is still to come. The five that had fallen at this time that John was given this prophecy were Egypt, the first world power, Assyria, the second, Babylon, the third, Medo-Persia, the fourth, Greece, the fifth. Those are no longer at this time in power. Who is the one that is at the time of John's writing? Rome. And then there's another one that's yet to come. And it's most likely, I believe, going to be a revived Roman empire of some sort. I believe the Bible teaches us that the prince of the people who will to come, remember we saw in Daniel 9, they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary, and that was the Romans. But the Romans, remember, had a Roman empire that it covered a bigger area than, than we realize. I believe it's going, the Bible shows us it's going to be a revived Roman empire of some sort. That area of the globe is going to get together to make a one world power. Maybe while we're still here, maybe after, I don't know. But he was told that five have fallen, one is, another one's yet to come. And look at verse uh, 10. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. The one, the one is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are all of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, They'll make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And those with Him are called the chosen and faithful. All right, now, so we see here very clearly, and we're going to get into this a lot more later on, that all along, the prophecy has been showing us all throughout the Scriptures that there's going to be this battle at the end. And folks, there is literally a seven-year period left for the nation of Israel. It does not start with the rapture. Many of us who grew up studying prophecy had the charts, and we had all the different time periods, and then you had the rapture, and then the tribulation begins. The rapture does not start the tribulation period. There could be a time period between the rapture of the church and the tribulation beginning of maybe 5, 10, 50, 40 years. The Bible doesn't, have to have, the Bible doesn't say that it happens right away. What starts that last seven, according to Daniel 9? This one who is to come. This one who's going to come from this kingdom of ten nations, who's going to come up among, remove three kings, he's going to make a covenant with many for one seven-year period. And Israel's going to be a part of that covenant. And the world's going to think there's peace. 
But then halfway through that seven-year period, the Bible clearly says that he's going to step into the temple. So at some point, there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple. Could it be part of the covenant? Maybe. We don't, don't speculate on what the Bible doesn't say. Or if you do, just say you're speculating. But at some point, there's going to be another temple. And if in our day, while we're still here, you start seeing it go up for some reason, I'd get excited and practice jumping. But at the same time, the Bible tells us what's to come. And at the halfway point of that seven years, he's going to step into the wing of the temple, declare himself to be the one to be worshipped from now on, and he's going to go after Israel like you wouldn't believe. And a third of them are going to be protected in the wilderness for that last three and a half years. We're going to deal more with this when we come back in two weeks, because I want to spend some more time. I told my family last week, last night when I was heading to the study to tell them uh, to go teach over there last night. Uh, I just told them, I said, man, I can't wait to show everybody all this stuff, but it's going to kill me because we're going to stop right at my most exciting part. Because we're going to spend some more time, not next week, because next week we've got Thanksgiving week, but the week after that when we come back together, we're going to come back to this prophecy in Revelation and really look at this dragon. Because I cannot wait to show you how all along God has been showing us that this whole thing going on in the world isn't about us. It's been about God and Satan. And the battle that's been going on between them and his followers. Because we have for too long thought that this was about us. It's not about us. It's about God. And all along, it goes all the way back to, I'm going to show you next time we get together. <coughs> Excuse me. It's been going on actually before the garden. I'm going to show you from scripture that this battle has been going on prior to the garden. I believe Satan's fall happens before God made anything you see. Well, saying, wait a minute, Jim, he saw all that he made and it was good. Satan couldn't have fallen. No, no, no. If you look closely, everything that was described in Genesis 1 was the visible part of creation. You go back to Job 38. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the angels celebrated? The angels, remember Colossians tells us he made everything that's visible and invisible. I believe the Bible shows us that the invisible realm was created prior to what is visible. And I think Satan's fall happened prior to the creation of what is visible. And this battle has been going on between the two of them. And all this that we see, all that has been made, is a part of this battle that's been going on. And I'm going to show you when we get back together in two weeks that God even made an animal called Leviathan, which looked like and acted like and represented Satan himself. By the way, some of your commentaries in your study Bibles will try to say that Leviathan was a crocodile. I'm going to show you when we get back together. Not only was it not a crocodile, it was a fire-breathing dragon that humans could not touch. And I'm going to show you that the Bible even says that God killed Leviathan to demonstrate what he's going to do. And so I leave you tonight with this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says that we're to put on the full armor of God because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, as you watch what's going on in our news and across the globe today, as you see what's going on in Paris, it's so easy to start looking at individuals and faces of these terrorists and say, these people are bad people and these people are good people and these people that worship this God are evil. And Folks, this is not about man. This has been going on between God and Satan for a long time. 
And we've been caught up in it because God's chosen to create us lower than the angels to demonstrate who he is. Let me show you something that maybe many of you have never seen. And I'll leave you with this passage tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 7 through 13. And we'll get into this more when we come back together in two weeks. But look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Listen closely to what Paul says. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul, sitting in prison, says, look, I was given a job by God. I've been wanting the nation of Israel to be saved. And he says in Romans chapter 9, if I could go to hell and Israel would be able to be saved, I'd do it. But God chose to send me a Jew to the Gentiles because he's doing this thing called the church for a time period to make my people jealous. And he's not done with my people. They've been put on hold for a while. They've been scattered. But he's going to bring them back. And he's going to finish what he started. But in the meantime, his desire is that through this group called the church, he might demonstrate who he is. Did you catch it? To the angels who rebelled and the angels who didn't rebel. Doesn't the book of Peter say that angels long to look into this relationship that we've been given? And so I want to just challenge you in these days as Paul's sitting in prison and everything seems to have been going to falling all apart in his life. He says, don't lose heart. Everything's right on schedule. And our attitude should be that of Jesus Christ who was given a role and the role he was given even meant death on a cross. And he submitted himself while he was here to the Father's plan. Folks, I cannot promise you that you won't be killed between now and the rapture because of God's plan. I cannot promise you that you won't lose some of your possessions. I cannot promise you that the government won't say, Jim Johnson, you can't teach that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. And therefore, I'm taking you to prison. I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I can tell you this much. This battle's been going on before we even were created. And it's going to ultimately end with the two of them. And God's going to win. And he says to us, if you will let me use you for my purposes and not have the attitude of Satan that says, I'm not satisfied with my lot in life, I want more, but have the attitude of Jesus that says, even though he slay me. Isn't that what Job said? Yet will I trust him? 
The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that these men and women were commended for their faith. Some received their, women, their children back from the dead. Others were cut in two. Some escaped the edge of the sword. Some were killed by the sword. Some wandered in deserts and caves. The world was not worthy of them. But all of them were commended for their faith. Why? Because they were looking toward what was to come. Folks, it's getting close. And it's getting crazy. And I want to encourage you, don't lose heart. It's real easy now with all, nowadays we can see what's happening all over the globe. It used to be we'd only know what happened in our neighborhood. Maybe we'd get a newspaper that might let us see something in a big city. Now we can find out what's happening in Uganda, where some of us can't even find Uganda on a map. But we know what's going on in Uganda. And with that, it could be very easy to get discouraged, scared, freaked out, panicked like the rest of those who don't understand what's really going on. I want to challenge you tonight. Say, Lord, whatever happens next, you've already told us you've got this. So I'm going to trust you. And between now and when you come get me, I want to have an attitude that shows the angels, the good ones and the bad ones, that you're God. And I trust you. Even when things don't make sense, I trust you. Paul said, I tried asking God to take away his plan for my life. He gave me a thorn. A messenger of Satan torment me. I begged him three times. And God says, my answer to you is, I'm not taking it away. I've given it for my purposes of displaying my power in your life. And Paul says, therefore, bring it on. I'll embrace it. You might have gotten the news from the doctor that your cancer has returned. And your flesh wants to say, where's God? Same place he's always been. John the Baptist sat in prison saying, are you the one? And Jesus says, everything's right on schedule. Go tell him everything's right on schedule. And I look you in the eye tonight and I say to you, everything is right on schedule. We've already seen a taste of it. The prophecies have been saying all along, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. We just happen to be in the time when we even see more of the pieces coming together. Pretty cool. Don't run ahead. And don't stick your head in the sand. Get up tomorrow and say, Lord, if you want to take us today, that's great. But if you choose not to, that's great too. Because you've got a plan. Until I see you face to face, you're God and I'm not. And watch what he does through us. Not just in the world. But the Bible says, the world of us who are created lower than the angels are one day going to what? We're going to rule the angels. Wow. Have a good week. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Have a good Thanksgiving.